Hi folks, it's uh, your host Jeff McNeil with uh, Coast to Coast Outdoors uh, Visual Podcast. Uh, this evening we have uh, our guest, uh, Barry Fordham from Newfoundland joining us. But before we start tonight, I just wanted to uh, put this out on the podcast here that uh, we've had uh, an individual who had his camp broken into in Nova Scotia, actually. Uh, our friend over that owns First Class Taxidermy had mounted it. And I'm just bringing it up here on the, the site there now. It, uh, it went missing. Uh, it's owned by David Bowman. So if anybody in Atlantic Canada sees this mount for sale, please contact David Bowman. He is uh, interested in purchasing it back uh, as well. So like we said, uh, if, uh, if anybody sees it, please give, uh, give David uh, a call or uh, give uh, well, First Class Taxidermy a call as well. Bear with me here. I'm just getting ready to bring up Barry here now. So, And welcome, Barry, to the show. Can you see me, Barry? Thanks very much, Jeff. Glad to be here. Uh, we're glad to have you. So we're going to be talking about a number of different topics here tonight in Newfoundland um, on episode four of Coast to Coast Outdoors. So, uh, Barry, you've uh, you've got an extensive uh, background there that you had sent me earlier there. Uh, geez, uh, you started uh, in the outdoors when you were six years old. Uh, where's that here? So you started uh, around six, and you you have an impressive resume, I must say, with regard yeah. to uh, the outdoors. To be quite honest, uh, began Pretty hunting busy at in the, the ages, world. You've uh, began hunting at the age of six, fishing earlier, uh, become a professional commercial hunting and fishing guide for 19 seasons, uh, mostly in Labrador. Now retired, uh, you're. Uh, non-restricted uh, and restricted firearms instructor, uh, hunter education instructor, uh, boat safety instructor over 20 years uh, behind you on that one. Uh, you are the co-founder and director of Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition, the co-founder and president of the first chapter of the CWTF uh, in Newfoundland. And for those that don't know what the CWTF is, that is the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation. And, uh, so you have uh, them over there as well. They're called the St. John's Longbeards. Uh, steering committee member of Newfoundland Coalition for Aquaculture Reform. Vice President, Public Education and Outdoor Media. Uh, spokesperson, uh, for Life Saving Society, Newfoundland Branch, and Say No to American Garbage Group, as well as a SNAG member. I think I covered it all, Barry. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive uh, to have under your belt and many years' experience, uh, I take it? Yes, it is. Actually, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, gained experiences along the way that uh, enabled me to be able to do what I do. 
Okay. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, so in your 19 seasons of moose hunting, uh, I take it the success rate in Newfoundland is pretty high. Uh, it, uh, it's for, it, well, it, it depends on what, uh, what angle you're going to be, we're going to be addressing that to with the, uh, when I used to be a hunting and fishing guide, uh, success rate was pretty good. Yes. And, uh, it still is now for the outfitters as well. It seems, uh, because they're mostly on the inside country flying country, we'll say, okay. uh, for the other side, the, uh, conversation talk with moose population, then we would say for. Uh, resident hunters who are just out around on the woods roads, uh, not so deep in the country, the moose population has declined. Uh, so that seems to be the uh, status quo across the country currently. I know British Columbia, Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, uh, right through uh, New Brunswick seems to be doing fine. Nova Scotia, hit or miss. As we know, there's no moose in Prince Edward Island, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it sounds like you guys are uh, having the same hurdles as us here in Cape Breton, actually. Uh, some of the topics that we are going to touch on tonight is uh, is actually just that. Uh, it is uh, the moose population, licenses, jawbone uh, study, uh, as well as the aerial studies for moose in Newfoundland. Uh, so I guess, Barry, if we, we want, we can move right in and uh, touch on those topics uh, in regards to the moose population and licenses in uh, in uh, Newfoundland? Sure. Uh, I've got a bit of a spiel, so I'll just top, give it to you off the top of my head. Uh, North American-wide, as you indicated, the moose and caribou populations are, de- are declining. And it's a, uh, it's a national trend. And the reasons, I guess, are many, but one of the chief reasons, the common denominator seems to be the low birth rate. So there's not as many calves being born, not as many calves being seen uh, here in, in the island of Newfoundland, for example, uh, the government right now is contending that the moose population is around 110,000 animals. In fact, last year, that was, the, that was indeed the uh, count that I was given as well. And uh, the Minister, uh, Minister of Fishery and Land Resources uh, gave a, uh, a quote in, the, in one of the news, news uh, documents, newspapers, saying that the population was 110 then, and by the fall coming around, it should be about 134,000 animals because of the birth rate. And, you know, I, we, I strongly disagree with it. And I'm speaking a lot of my own opinions here tonight, not so much from my groups and everything else. But, uh, you know, we, we strongly disagree with it because if that was the case, the success rates, percentages-wise, wouldn't be as low as what they are now. And as well as there wouldn't be, there'd be a lot more moose to be seen on the highway. And we're not saying that we want that, that happening again but they're just not being seen, not being around. Uh, currently, there are approximately, and I'll use even numbers, Jeff. Currently, there are approximately between residents and non-residents about approximately 30,000 licenses. Wow. So back in 2016, or 20, back in 2012, there was a, 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 a biologist who gave a presentation to the Newfoundland Labrador Outfitters Association that said that at that time, after the increase of 5,000 some odd licenses, for each year, right on up through, if those licenses keep getting issued, there could be as few as 68,000, 68,000 moose on the island of Newfoundland. So what we're saying then, put it all together, is that, you know, we need, the government doesn't have any scientific evidence that we believe uh, to back up this population estimate. We, we, it, could be, it could be around 60 or 70,000, or it could even be possibly lower. So if the, if the number of licenses keep getting issued at 30,000, 
well, if the if there's not if the if the calves aren't being born to regenerate the population, and we are only hunting then the existing population. Gotcha. Now with the with that or with, with the population as uh, in the, the strait that it is currently within Newfoundland, uh, I'm assuming you guys would see more predation by black bears in Newfoundland on calves as well as uh, coyotes, and uh, in some cases. Uh, the, the koi wolf, uh, I'm sure you guys have that over there as well, where uh, it's a cross between a, a timber wolf and a coyote, something like we have here in Nova Scotia, which would pre prey on the, the moose calves as well. Well, uh, we already had that. That's what came over uh, initially with the koi wolf. They had already breeded to produce the koi wolf so when they came here. Now, in the past number of years, there's been a, there's been a uh, wolves that have crossed the ice. And that's been genetically, scientifically proven. Now what we have is the what they're calling the hybrid, which is a cross between the koi wolf and the wolf itself. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a guy in uh, Botwood in central Newfoundland, a uh, portion of the province, that had that had snared the first one, I believe. And he had strewn, strewn across the quad, the front of his quad, and they call it the Botwood Beast. Wow. And there's been, to date, there's been 11 of those harvested and five wolves that's on record that's been recorded so far. So they are they are a threat to the population. But more bigger uh, predatorship through studies I've looked at is the, the black bear. And right now, the black bear population is very healthy. What number it is, I don't know. Uh, but it is very healthy. And we're actually promoting black bear hunting because... Uh, uh, for a few reasons, as a, as a check to keep the uh, predator predation rate on the moose uh, somewhat, but as well now uh, with in today's times, uh, more and more people are seeking wild game food to eat instead of the uh, store bought food, and bear hunting uh, is a very uh, viable option to that because there are a lot of bears and it is very nutritionally delicious as well. I might add. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's the way a lot of people are going. They're going back to the grassroots way of their their fathers and their grandparents with uh, with uh, farming, uh, hobby farms, and uh, getting into hunting and fishing activities. Uh, uh, it's it's organic and uh, it's not pumped full of uh, steroids and antibiotics and so on and so forth. Uh, so yeah, so it's uh, it's it's great. Uh, I'm sure you guys see an influx in Newfoundland just uh, from uh, outside. Uh, hunters as well from uh, all over the world, not just uh, United States, but uh, everywhere in between. So that makes up part of the licensing uh, that uh, that goes towards the harvest of the moose population in Newfoundland. There's very strong interest in black bear hunting among European hunters. Well, and as yeah. well now, you know, as we have a healthy population indeed in through most of Canada, and it's always been a uh, an argument between. Uh, Newfoundland and Labrador say, and uh, Vancouver and British Columbia saying that they have the biggest bears. We have the biggest bears as well. Seeing where I'm talking about, I'm going to say Newfoundland and Labrador have the biggest black bears. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and I'm sure there's a few hunters there that would uh, openly engage that debate. Uh, uh, who's got the biggest black bear population or who's got the biggest black bears in general? Uh, Absolutely. To, to our viewers that are tuning in, you guys uh, and gals can uh, openly engage and ask uh, myself or Barry questions, uh, and they will be displayed on the screen for us to, uh, to answer. Uh, always welcome. Uh, uh, any questions and comments? Uh, now, in regards to licensing, Barry, I know you touched on that. Uh, so 
uh, what was the the total licensing again there? I think you said uh, sixty. Was it sixty thousand licenses? For mm-hmm. for an even number, say approximately thirty thousand. Thirty thousand. Okay. Mark. For an even number, it's probably somewhere around 20, 20, 28 high, twenty nine low, but still mm-hmm. way too many. Wow. So uh, yes, we, we we want to see. We have three objectives actually, myself, and we are working very closely with the Newfoundland Sportsman magazine as well, and in meetings with the government officials trying to get the numbers reduced. So we want to uh, we we want to get the numbers reduced to to see until they finally see what's out there. So we've we've lobbied uh, different uh, different uh, members of the uh, government and different things that we've done along the way. So we've got the uh, we've got the aerial surveys up now from three to five, well, from, from five to one in per year, uh, up to seven, and now up to 10 per year. So we have that commitment from the government to do 10 aerial surveys per year, and hopefully within five years, they will have everything tallied up to see what the population actually is, or, you know, using the extrapolation methods that they use. So that would be very good, and it would be about a year from tabulate that, so another year for them to come up with that. So we're looking at maybe another six years for the, to get the scientific evidence of what it actually is. Uh, so uh, when we started that, that as well with to our meetings with government officials, we got the licenses peeled back to uh, 2,470 licenses. We were hoping for 5,000 licenses. Indeed, actually 10 would be good. And uh, it would be different, Jeff, and for your viewers, it would be different if we were going to the minister, to the government, saying, listen, sir, we want, we want more moose licenses. And then being responsible and, and, and ethical and everything, or re- responsible enough to say, well, you know, gee, well, listen, the moose population is not there to support that. We can't do it. But what are we doing? We're going there looking for less licenses. Now, that's huge for hunters. That's, that's a backward thing, some people would say. But we want, what is our goal? We don't have any secret calls or agendas. We basically want to, to, to preserve the right, to preserve the uh, tradition of hunting and to, conser- to, preserve the, uh, to conserve the moose so that not only for us, but our kids and their kids come as well in the future. And that's, that's what our agenda is. So that's not really any big uh, hidden agenda. With respect to Jeff, you asked about the jawbone survey. Uh, through our, uh, through our, we got two positions, must between ourselves and Newfoundland Sports Magazine, and got uh, one of the uh, PCMHA, Jim Lester, to present that two different positions into the House Assembly for us on behalf of looking to get the job on analysis study back, which indeed the government has announced that it has been reinstated for this coming fall. So that's a great, another great step in the positive direction of the mm-hmm. uh, conservation. And, and Barry, everything that you said there revolves around hunters showing the general public across Canada and the world, for that matter, that hunters take the proactive measures to implement keeping a manageable herd moving forward. Without implementing changes, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't know why, uh, or we wouldn't have sorry uh, uh, the the strong herds that we currently have. But uh, I notice here uh, in comparison to what you're saying, uh, it kind of overlaps certain topics here that we, uh, we engage with in Cape Breton uh, and the moose herd in Cape Breton uh, does w- without doing the job own study. Uh, that is a, that, that is a big scientific uh, factor there for the strength of the herd uh, diseases, aging uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, uh, now, I don't know how strong you guys are going to be in Newfoundland with that topic uh, uh, because I know here in Nova Scotia, geez, we have a lot of uh, delinquents uh, 
uh, that uh, sometimes we've got the good and we got the bad where hunters go out and they harvest. Sometimes we don't get hunter reports and uh, hunters need to realize that that plays a pivotal role in uh, conservation of the herd because without knowing that, uh, we don't know what diseases could spread through uh, or anything like that uh, uh, as well. Now, I know you touched on the aerial survey, so uh, for, for the viewers there that may not realize, uh, that's the use of a helicopter using LIDAR or some GIS software, as well as onboard spotters to, uh, to view and uh, visually record the number of moose they count in a specific quadrant uh, or sector of, uh, or block, as some people say. Uh, so... So for those that may not know exactly what uh, what Barry meant by that, uh, but uh, it's it's great to hear the steps that are taking place there uh, in regards to the the moose. Uh, you guys seem to, to be pushing the conservation as well. I'm sure you guys uh, have received some backlash from the hunting community stating why are we removing the moose licenses or asking for less. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, now, I have a couple of viewer comments here, uh, uh, Barry. Gary Geddes, I know you have the, the bear hunt in the file, and I know this, but uh, but do you hold a spring bear hunt, especially knowing they are a big predator of moose? Uh, now, I'm sure you have the answer there. Uh, I know Lucas Roberts chimed in. Uh, he's watching, and... Uh, Gary, uh, we, we do have a spring uh, bear season as well. And Gary's, uh, Gary, thank him for that. Uh, another uh, viewer uh, comment here, uh, CWTF. Great job, guys. Thank you both for supporting the CWTF. Uh, anytime. Uh, we have another viewer comment here, Barry uh, Gerald. Uh, I don't know why there is bull only and calf that next year's moose should never be no calf perked, must be picked. Uh, any uh, any answer to that question, Barry? I'm not quite sure I can pick out what the question actually is, but uh, we talk about a couple aspects of it. One, talk about that bear hunt uh, for a second. Uh, the license uh, format, formality of the license, bear license has changed somewhat now. The quota is two bears per fall, per, per year. The license is good for the spring and or the fall. In other words, I have, I have my options of hunting two in the spring and harvesting two in the spring. I'm done for the year. That's for that's for black bear, correct, Barry? Yes, that's correct. Black bear, Newfoundland, Labrador, or I can not hunt in in the springtime and hunt in the fall time and harvest two black bears, or gotcha. I can harvest one in the spring and one in the fall. Now, I think Gerald's question there, if I'm reading into it correctly, I don't know why there is bull only, and calf that next year's moose hunt should never be hunted. So. Uh, in Newfoundland, if I'm reading into uh, Gerald's uh, question there, uh, he's saying that it's bull only and you can hunt next year's calf. So any that uh, that calf from this year, you could hunt the following year. It sounds like he's he's kind of working around maybe uh, asking that uh, any calves from this year not be hunted the following year. Uh, is what I'm I'm reading into that. But if he wishes to clarify that, we would be open to uh, 
discussing that further. Yes, I, I think what Gerard, Gerard means is that the uh, the calf the calf should be taken off the bull only license. That could be possible, and if he wishes to, and I think that's, that, a, that's, a, that's a whole different that's a whole uh, kennel of fish will say. Uh, some people say yes, some people say no. Um, you know, with with the with the way the population is today, I think that the calf should be given should be taken off the license. And this is my own personal opinion, Jeff. The calf should be taken off the license altogether, and indeed, the the uh, it should be made illegal to uh, harvest a cow that's accompanied by a calf. Okay. That's my own personal opinion. Um, you know, whether something like that's going to happen is that's going that'll be a, a, at least one or two or three years down the road before government makes a decision on something like that. Because as you know, Jeff, you, from what I learned from you speaking, you realize too that dealing with government, everything is a process. And uh, that's uh, that's what he had meant, Barry. Okay, Gerard. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying that as well, Gerard. And Gerard will just echoed that uh, exact sentiment. A lot of people are saying that. And uh, you know, uh, like I said, we have our group, the Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition, hasn't taken formal vote or anything like that on it. So as I say now, I'm speaking mostly for myself and mostly my own views and not the groups. Gotcha. And uh, I noticed there that your uh, your group there and. Um... I'm gonna see here if uh, if I can. Oh, son of a! I think I lost it. Bear with me here a second. Uh, the fun thing of doing things live, right? Uh, yeah, I thank Lucas for chiming in there. Lucas is one of the directors with our uh, conservation group, and he's also the uh, secretary for the uh, St. John's Longbirds Canadian Wild Chapter, uh, Wild Turkey Federation chapter. And uh, I see here that. Uh, I'm on your uh, Facebook page here now for the Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition. Uh, for anybody that wants to, to check you guys out, any viewers from anywhere in Canada, uh, check them out. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can see that up there now. Can you, Barry? I can see it there. Yes, thank you, Jeff. And uh, just click on that emblem that has to join. It doesn't cost anything to join. We do have paid membership. That's another option for you. Uh, but uh, we talk about our group there. We run a very... Uh, integral group there's no bashing and there's no bad language uh we have a lot of sports women and sports kids in this group and we uh keep it clean and uh high integrity and there's no such thing as a stupid or silly question perfect that's what i like to hear and uh, many others uh like to hear that as well uh it's uh it's open doors and uh i'm, I'm sure your group does a lot for kids programs as well eh barry say that again jeff I said, I'm sure your uh, your group there, the Newfoundland Outdoor uh, Heritage Coalition, do a lot with kids and uh, projects, uh, whether it be fishing. Absolutely, or... absolutely, and we're looking to do more now as we as we get formally uh, organized, and especially now with the uh, with the uh, St. John's Long Bears chapter as well. There's more; it gives us more uh, avenues with that. And uh, speaking about the uh, the young hunters there, Jeff, you know that I was a big a uh, big supporter of the uh, hunting age getting reduced. I'm not claiming responsibility for that myself. There has been a lot of groups like Sports Magazine and many other groups and individuals that spoke up on that behalf. I was at it for six years myself. The battle, though, uh, Jeff, was going on for almost 25 years. I noticed uh, in regards to that, Barry, there was a, uh, a young uh, young child there that uh, had uh, wrote his politicians uh, and put a, put a letter of request forward to his local politician in Newfoundland who uh who actually carried it uh forward there because he was uh he couldn't uh now correct me if i'm right or wrong here and uh 
I, it's been a while since I've seen that article, but uh, I believe uh, he, want, he, he wanted to go hunting with his dad, I believe. Big game, was it not? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so for, for, for our younger generation uh, to uh, step up and uh, ha- write a letter, they may have had some help writing the letter, obviously. And I know uh, sportsmen, uh, Newfoundland sportsmen, uh, had him on there uh, uh, on an episode there as well or an article in their magazine uh, uh, and you know what? I commend the groups that uh, put forward to that because, hey, that's what we need. We need more children out uh, away from the video games and the tablets and, and heaven forbid, these uh, these cellular devices. Uh, get them out. Get them active. Uh, it's healthy. It's, uh, it's uh, good for your mental health, the whole nine yards. Uh, so anytime we can do that, Barry, it's, it's great. And as you – we can't – as many members – of outdoor organizations across Canada and the U.S., uh, it's it's great to see. I must say, the uh, the reduction of the hunting age here in Newfoundland and Labrador was one of the biggest, most positive, forward-thinking steps that could possibly have happened in our outdoor world. Uh, where you know, in the past, kids had to be 16 years old to hunt small game, 18 for big game, and uh, Unless they had, unless kids have uh, participation, they lose interest altogether. And they were basically they were grown up, not all, but they were grown up with some grown up with bad habits. We'll say, think it's okay to do this, it's okay to do this, it's okay to bend the law, etc. But now mm-hmm. kids are coming in as early as twelve years old into the hunting course. And I'm not saying this because I teach the course now, Jeff, but what I'm, I'm seeing a lot of it is that kids are coming into the course now, and we're telling them as responsible, legitimate instructors. That poaching is bad. It's it's wrong. It's stealing from everybody else, and you have to obey the law. And now they're and now we're growing up. It may take a generation or so, Jeff, but now the change is happening. Where now you're going to have more conservational, ethical, safety-minded, conscious hunters out there in the field as a result of this hunting age reduction. I do believe. And and you know what, Barry, I've, uh, we've seen that ourselves uh, with uh, with uh, the group that I'm with. Uh, in uh, Cape Breton, their Port Morion Wildlife Association. And many of the children uh, that we've seen in the schools, uh, they've, like you've said, kids will say the darndest things. uh, And uh, sometimes we've, over the years, uh, many of our members uh, had seen uh, children and that uh, developing those bad habits from the adults. And uh, uh, our biggest hurdles there were uh, here for trying to get local conservation uh, enforcement people involved because it seemed like they had uh, removed public engagement from their service. And uh, recently, there uh, here in Cape Breton, we've had uh, we've had some uh, some number of uh, departments actually jump back in and get back on board with public engagement. Now, is that similar to what's uh, happening over in Newfoundland now, where you have enforcement of the province uh, coming out to? Uh, end user events whether or not it be your group or another group to uh to assist and show kids hey we're not we're not the scary woods uh woods cops that we're presented to be yes there there are some programs that are available for youth uh, uh that the uh the wildlife enforcement is coming out and supporting and and having good things to say um our, you know, our our enforcement has been diluted, and uh, our enforcement has been uh, downsized, downgraded due to the economy and everything else. We uh, we are advocating for more enforcement to be uh, hired on and trained. 
you know, to uh, to help combat this. But getting back to your question, yes, they are coming out and they are doing a wonderful job because the uh, the uh, the guys and gr- the guys when I say guys, I mean men and women, the guys that are coming out are doing an extremely good job and doing it professionally. And you know, the kids are walking away with positive experiences. That's that's great news to hear, uh, and kudos to your enforcement over there for uh, uh, coming out and engaging with the children in, at the events. That's uh, that's a huge stepping stone. So uh, I know Barry, we've uh, we've talked there as well uh, about touching on uh, topics there uh, regarding uh, hunters feeding the hungry program. Now I know uh, when I was with a, a previous. Uh, organization here in Nova Scotia uh yourself and I had uh, many uh, telephone calls and emails back and forth over this very topic you asked how how we did it here in Nova Scotia and uh, we had explained that feed Nova Scotia gets uh hunters had the option here in Nova Scotia to uh to give a portion of their harvest to feed Nova Scotia now there is some parameters to that where the hunter has to have that animal processed at a licensed butcher, obviously, and that that hunter would incur the cost of the butchering and then donate what they feel fit to uh, to uh, feed Nova Scotia. Now, I don't know; it's been a long time since me and you touched on that, and it's uh, I'm not sure where or how you guys had made any progress, or if you hadn't made any progress there in Nova Scotia. But in Nova Scotia, that program has run for many years, and uh, it seems to uh, it uh, it puts the needed nutrition uh, in the hands of people that need it, and uh, feed Nova Scotia here in Nova Scotia is uh, very thankful for every donation of game meat that they receive. As a matter of fact, you're into tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand uh, kilograms of uh, game meat donated. Is that is that be fair safe to say, Jeff? Well, I say that would be a fair estimate, Barry. Yes. Yes, and Jeff, myself, and you have been talking back and forth now for, I was going to say a year, but it must be about two or three years, if not more. And it's about going this, on three. Thanks very much for the information. And uh, I got a, a professional document done up to be uh, submitted to the government. Uh, we have the, uh, we have the uh, um, report of the Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia Federation Anglers and Hunters, the New Brunswick Wildlife Federation, Newfoundland Labrador Outfitter Association, we have the all the most of the conservation groups, uh, you know, and everything else. But it just seems to be the unwillingness of the government, or more specifically, I got to come down to it and say, call spade the spade. It's the Minister of Fishery and Land Resources, his unwillingness to want to do anything that has, has any kind of benefit, unless it seems like he comes up with the idea himself, you know. And it's just like banging my head against a brick wall. It's unbelievable. I got, you know, you're, I'll talk to you on a couple of things that you said. You know, the the hunter must have a license of that that certain year. He brings it to a uh, he brings it to a government approved processor, a butcher, who processes it, then brings it to the food banks, and you know we I have all that set up. I, I have a, the five, five different groups, individuals from different groups coming with me to the meeting. Should we get it, that would be myself through the conservation group, uh, a member of Salvation Army, a member of St. Vincent de Paul, a member of the uh, university's food bank, and a member of the span spanels called Single Parent Association Newfoundland and Labrador. To come to the meeting with me, and you know he, he's he, in a public in a publication media uh, media outsourced publication. He said that he doesn't think that food banks are interested and doesn't think that they uh, have the freezer facilities. Well, I did my own survey, telephone survey of uh, nearly 50 food banks, 
And uh, almost 30 got back to me. We had 98% saying people of them saying, yes, we are interested. And, uh, you know, take the snowmageddon that we've just been through and now this pandemic that we're going through now. And, you know, it, it just makes sense. And I've been at it now, Jeff, since I, I think going on over 12 years. Met, there, with almost, uh, met with almost every minister there was to meet. Okay, so so you've met with most of the ministers and they've seemed to be reluctant to uh, to move things forward on that program. For two, two big reasons, Jeff, and they are legality and liability. To legality states that it, it's illegal. I can give you some moose meat, but you're you can't give it to anybody else. So that could be that could be fixed with a stroke of the pen right there and then. Just make this but, they make this example, or you know, rebuttal of Barry, it or whatever. Right? Neil Barry, in comparison, there, uh, I understand the liability aspect in uh, in Canada there, uh, in most of the pro most of the provincial jurisdictions and maybe territorial. I'm not sure, but I know it wasn't that long ago that uh, agriculture and these big grocery chains were given the opportunity there for a tax grab for food that has either hit its expert date best before date or it was ready to be tossed out where they could go ahead and give it to such food banks uh for for human consumption now i i don't know in grave detail the what liabilities or legalities they may have had to negate there or negotiate, but I'm sure that could carry over into what you're trying to do there. And I'm sure here in Nova Scotia as well, that uh, the, the legalities and so forth have uh, been mitigated for them to roll out these programs, obviously, uh, because, Hey, it's, it's there. I'm sure as well, the option is given by many of these uh, food banks as well to uh, that receive game meat, not just to give it out to somebody that may not want the game meat. So the option would be there, hey, you acknowledge that you're receiving this moose meat or game meat. Uh, it, it's not ground beef, it's ground moose burger or bear or what have you. So I'm sure it's an easy thing, but as you know, Barry, dealing with politicians of any color or stripe, uh, it's, uh, it comes down to, uh, nobody wants to do something that is quick and easy, uh, because they want to drag it out for at least five to 10 years. Unfortunately, that that's my own personal experience I've seen with government dealing with government. Uh, but, uh, but th there's, there's options there. Uh, unfortunately, all of our provinces can't have a minister like New Brunswick has, uh, who uh, takes the bull by the horns and gets stuff uh, moving along. But, uh, again, I'm not here to pick on any uh, politicians in general, but uh, it just seems that uh, they need to be more open-minded. Uh, this closed-minded stuff with the bureaucracy has to be cut to, to do things for conservation. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things there you can do with the food, uh, obviously. Uh, I know we've got a comment here or a question. I'm not sure. I'm going to bring it up on the screen, though. Uh, here in Newfoundland, wildlife thrown all roadkill in, in. So basically, in, what he's saying there, Jeff, if I may, the, right currently, right now, roadkills and animals that are poached or whatever are brought to a, 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 a dumping site. 
So similar to what they do here in Nova Scotia as well, they'll they'll take them and they'll dump them at a dump site and leave them rot. Now, in comparison, uh, like you said there, Barry, uh, they take them to these dump sites and just leave them rot or a dump site. Uh, it's unfortunate because if you look down in the states, uh, that's a lot of that is is given uh, to uh, residents. Look at Alaska, for an example. Uh, a lot of their roadkill, uh, as soon as it's there, they they call somebody to pick it up and it's processed and it's uh, it's handed out as uh, as feed, right? Uh, for yeah. the person that may be less fortunate, obviously, uh, but uh, it doesn't go to waste. So, so if I may, then getting back to the liability issue, uh, through further investigation, it was uncovered that uh, most provinces have are covered under the Good Samaritan Act. We're covered here by the Donated Food Act of Newfoundland and Labrador which both says that no, nobody, in the, nobody in the history of Canada has been ever prosecuted, held liable for anybody getting sick if the, if the food was donated. There's a key word, donated. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about donating it. For the, for the roadkill program, Jeff, by May, uh, several years ago, back in the 90s, uh, that I can remember, uh, animals, big game animals or whatever it was that was, uh, happened to be struck by vehicles on roads, the, uh, the meat, if deemed edible, was given to uh, senior citizen homes and places like that. Uh, through something that happened, I think there was a, uh, 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 some kind of incident that happened. They dismantled that program, and now they offered a, uh, the not, not-for-profit big game moose hunting licenses. So if you're a registered charity group, then you can, take, you can apply for that license and uh, take, go harvest one moose of either sex and use that for uh, charity events. Okay, so do they do like a lottery on that berry, or do they just go have somebody harvest a moose for them and divvy up the there moose? Is, there is there is a lottery on for the for the tag itself, uh, and uh, sometimes you, sometimes you, most times you draw one, sometimes you don't. Okay. Uh, but uh, the, you know, but that you know we're not we're not uh, that that's great. But the the minister tried to turn turn that and the uh, tie that program and the uh, roadkill program to. Uh, replace what we're talking about, Hunter's Seed and Hungry. And as I said to him in that meeting, I called him by his first name because he said that was okay for me to call him. I said, Jerry, I said, look me in the eye. No, I said, Jerry, look me in the eye. How many, how many t- these days, how many moose do you hear being hit on the road, on the highway? Not to be disrespectful to anybody in a vehicle, moose vehicle collision now, Jeff. And of, of those, uh, how many moose do you being here, uh, hit on the highway and killed? And of that pro- pro- proportion of numbers that are being killed on the highways, how much of that meat it would actually be edible? That's why Hunters Feeding Hungry program will be the greatest answer there is. And with the cooperation of Newfoundland Labrador Outfitters Association, you have some Americans that come up here, people from out non, non-residents that hunt and don't want any meat. They're sport hunters. The majority are meat hunters, but some are sport hunters. Now you're talking about bulk meat. You're talking about hundreds of pounds of, of bulk meat. So I don't understand, and I still keep shaking my head, so does everybody else, why this program is not implemented here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And, well, you know, why, why can't it be? It's right there in Nova Scotia. What's the difference? Yeah, it's uh, that's that is a question that uh, I, I try to wrap my head around uh, based on that uh, topic, uh, Barry, because I personally would think that it was a pretty, uh, pretty easy uh, decision there and uh, whatnot. But uh, again, the, the bureaucracy and bureaucrats that uh, pull the strings uh, behind the scenes seem to be the biggest hurdle in anything that is done uh, provincially or federally uh, 
to move projects forward. It's we had Mike Mike Holland here, wouldn't be. That's that's true. Uh, and I'll give you a shout out, Mike Holland, if you're listening. Way to go for you. You're a forward thinking uh, pol pol politician who's uh, got mine and the outdoors. And that's uh, that's great for the conservation uh, people to hear. I can tell you that. Great to hear. And, and Minister Holland uh, in New Brunswick there, uh, he's uh, we, we, we realize that he's come from uh, the hunting background. So it's uh, it's he knows and he's been a strong advocate for many years, Barry, on uh, the issues there that, that needed addressing. And he took the bull by the horns uh, and uh, made them happen there in that province. Uh, now, our provinces, we've got people there that have never hunted a day in their life or fished a day in their life uh, running the show. Uh, and we've got special interest groups that, uh, that seem to want to hurdle what our provinces and our hunting groups seem to want to do uh and barry i'm sure newfoundland is pretty much like every other province where uh you have uh you guys pay into a conservation pot each year i'm assuming uh with purchases of licenses unfortunately not jeff unfortunately no. not uh that's something that we we're also we'd also like to get on the go um so, for instance, right now, our the license, the fees for that license that we for pay for small game, big game, and uh, uh, salmon licenses, uh, it it goes right into that's for the provincial government, and of course, our waterfowl license is federal license. And we know that the waterfowl license comes with a special stamp, and of that uh, for that stamp, then eight dollars fifty cents goes directly wildlife, wildlife habitat management. Yes. We don't have that here. And a lot, of, a lot of hunters say, Jeff, that, you know, if there was a wildlife trust fund, like there is another place, and I, I promote that in our Facebook group and that, in our conservation group and others, if we had a, if we had a wildlife trust fund, I wouldn't mind paying 10 bucks or whatever into it. But the thing is, what gets added on that is that if that trust fund was set up so government could not touch it. Now... Now, I can speak on that experience a little bit, Barry, because at one point uh, I, uh, I sat on the board in Nova Scotia that approved some of them grants uh, uh, a while back. And uh, I can tell you this, uh, for, for our hunters and trappers in the province of Nova Scotia, they, uh, they paid in about $5.15 uh, for, their, for their general license that goes on their booklet. Uh, and out of that there, the $5.15 went into a pot. So each year you were looking at about $250,000 that you could run for uh, hunting uh, uh, conservation projects that met the criteria for, uh, for that, whether it be, uh, excuse me, research or, or what have you, uh, science research, uh, just uh, programs in general. Uh, that's, and, and there was $50,000 a year put aside for uh, land trust. Uh, that could be used for land trust or it could be used for just funding the other projects that had come in. Uh, now, in our province here, they've, uh, they've got one as well, uh, separate from that for, for angling and fishing, which, which gainers normally about 200, and 200 to between two and 300,000 a year as well. And uh, most people try to get that spent on projects, obviously, yeah. Uh, because nobody wants to see it sit in general coffers and have the government uh, uh, take it or, or sit in the fund uh, not being used and the government take it for general coffers, obviously. So most times they try to shoo it out because at any given time uh, here in Nova Scotia, the, the minister 
for lands and forestry could take it and spend it as they see fit, uh, which which is unacceptable as far as many uh, many agree with here. But it's uh, it's something there for for you guys, like you said, if you were looking at going down that road, uh, something for you to look at. Well, Jeff, when you look at the, uh, the the numbers of big game hunters, the big game applicants each year, I believe it's somewhere around 90,000, 90,000, 90,000. Wow. You imagine if we took $10 each and threw that in extra for the big game application and it went into a wild tr life trust fund, that's almost a million dollars. And we could fund our own studies. We could fund this, that and everything else. And as a matter of fact, though, Jeff, as you know as well, there are some jurisdictions and some states that have uh, the d department Department of Wildlife run through a private firm. So it's taken out of the government's hands and they've been running things themselves like a business and it's been working very, very well. And that's, uh, I've seen some of those areas and jurisdictions you mentioned and uh, it, it, it seems to be, but like everything, when you start running things like a business and I'm not saying the government doesn't run things like a business uh, because that's the way things go with government. Uh, they, uh, each, each different thing has its own inherent hurdles, Barry. And, uh, as many of us know, so it's, uh, it, it's up in the air, but it'd be something there. Uh, if you guys are pursuing down the road to, uh, see how far it gets within government and the, the hunting and trapping communities and angling communities as well. Well, at this point it can't get any worse. So, uh, and then my next topic here is crossbow. Do you guys have a crossbow season over there, or do you guys can you hunt with a crossbow, or or how's that? No, uh, it's uh, we're the only two provinces in Canada that it's illegal to use a crossbow. To best of my knowledge, that would be us, Newfoundland, Labrador, and the Yukon. Uh, for our group, uh, to a different name before previously, uh, we've been at this now for over uh, probably over five years. Uh, Lobbying the government make the legalization crossbows for big game hunting, small game hunting legal. Um, we're still up against a brick wall with that. We're making headway. Uh, there's another group now just made a, a petition to presentation to the uh, government. And uh, like I said, we met with almost every minister now in the past five years to get the legalization of crossbows. Why they aren't is based on the uh, based on a law back in the day, and it was back in the late day law, and it was true for back in the day. It said that crossbows of the day were not powerful to effectively harvest a big game, humanely harvest a big game animal. Well, now fast forward to 56 years later. Yeah, well, yes, it is. It's way more powerful. It passed through probably two big game animals. And it, the technology is there. It's just, again, a matter. Why won't the government scuttle their feet a little bit more? Now, to the government's credit, they have just put out a, an online survey of questions uh, for the general hunting public to take advantage of and have their say. And one of them was the crossbow legal, legalization crossbows for the purpose of hunting. So again, that's a step in the right direction. And, and you know what, Barry, it wasn't that long ago here in Nova Scotia, I believe it was 2009 where they allowed us to start using uh, crossbows uh, in, uh, in Nova Scotia. And I can tell you many people with disabilities uh, swear by them. Uh, because it gives them, because they can get a hand crank there, so it's just uh, uh, one-handed use, and uh, it's it's a huge benefit. Some of them, uh, some folks there with disabilities, uh, say using a firearm is difficult. Uh, it's it's a debated uh, question, obviously, uh, whether what's what, but uh, the prerogative, I guess, the priority, or or uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? 
I guess the choice of uh, what uh, what somebody wants to use should be readily available. Uh, if it meets the requirements to take down a, a big game animal, well then uh, they should move it forward, obviously. But uh, again, it's it's just one of them hurdles uh, where Rome wasn't built in a day and trying to move something like that forward uh, takes a lot of drive by volunteer organizations such as uh, Newfoundland uh, Outdoor Coalition. Uh, Heritage and uh, Outdoor Coalition, if I'm saying it correct, uh, uh, to, to move things forward, as well as uh, the sportsmen of the province, obviously. Uh, to, but it's, it's it's an uphill battle, Barry, when it comes to that stuff. No doubt. No doubt it is, Jeff. Uh, you know, a couple of points on the, uh, on the crossbow thing. There is a uh, – some people say it's going to increase the level of poaching. Well, look, you know, I'm sick of hearing that. We're not all poachers. And, you know, what poacher is going to go and invest in all this money and technology and learn how to use it when they got their old 303 rifle wrapped up in a blanket in the woods? I'll tell you this. Uh, a poacher, I don't compare them to being a hunter because there's no ethics normally uh, involved there, Barry. Right you are there, Jeff. Right you are there, Jeff. A poacher is not a hunter. And I, I always, I'm always quick to make that difference as well. Thank you very much for correcting it's, me. Uh, a, a poacher is somebody that opposes the current laws and just does their own thing. Uh, and they, they, they paint all of, which then in turn has the general public paint all hunters as poachers, uh, which isn't the case because hunters contribute to conservation measures, studies, research, uh, try to manage the herd as you guys have done there with uh, asking for a reduction in licenses. Uh, it's it it is it, it aggravates me sometimes when I hear that. But uh, there, there's no change in a poacher. If somebody's going to poach something, uh, and heaven forbid, either it's going to happen with a crossbow or it's going to happen with a rifle. Uh, these guys are just rogue uh, individuals that are going to do what they see fit, and they have no disregard for or the laws or the regulatory bodies that enforce things, uh, uh, it's it's a gamble for them, uh, which which is sad in a way because then when they do get caught, again, it reflects on the hunting community because the general public paints that picture as all hunters do this, which isn't the case. Uh, in Nova Scotia, they tried to use that argument as well, Barry, and it didn't quite pan out uh, yeah. for, uh, for that. Uh, it did get pushed through eventually, which, uh, which was great. Uh, so I to, see. Uh, go ahead. To take that uh, crossbow, uh, to finalize the crossbow t uh, chat there. Uh, you know, some people say, "Well, I'm, I don't want to use it. You know, it's going to be another season." This, that. well, listen. Just because I and I myself personally probably wouldn't use it either, Jeff. But just because I'm not going to use it, does mean that I should say that you should not use it? Mm -hmm. So with the with the you touched on the poaching aspect of it, and uh, we have the perfect answer for poaching. Or we think we have the we we think we have the answer for poaching, and uh, several things need to happen. Right now, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, anybody that's uh, charged and convicted of a uh, uh, illegal action is merely a slip a slap on the wrist, in monetary wise and privileges wise. We're, we we I watch the Northwoods Law and the uh, the other one that's on a lot now. You see a lot of them. So what we're saying is that uh, the monetary fines need to be substantially increased upon conviction. The loss of privileges need to be substantially increased upon conviction. All the monetary fines and all of the possessions that are confiscated at that time and collected later should be turned into enforcement to better enable them to do their job better 
with better equipment and to hire more enforcement officers. And the final link in it is that we, we, the outdoors people, we had to start speaking up and reporting this, this illegal activity because the, if we're not reporting it, these, so, these poachers are saying, we don't care. And they're, it gives them the free reign to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and how they want to do it. If we don't speak up and get this straightened out, and I guarantee you, after the first few convictions, it'll make the, these people say, well, you know, maybe it's not worth it. And there are more people that are bending the law now these days that we call poaching than actual poachers themselves. And I bet you after the first dozen or so convictions, it'll straighten most people back out. Will it, be, will it get rid of, eliminate the poaching altogether? No, absolutely not. But it will certainly decrease it quite a lot. And, you know, and I think with all those factors come into play, I think that it'd be a much better future for our kids. Because if, if we don't start speaking up now, how will you answer your grandkids when they say, Grandma, Granddad, how come I can't go moose hunting or salmon fishing like you used to? That's that's true. Now, I know, uh, uh, well, I should ask this question, I guess. Uh, the, the fines, when a poacher is charged in Newfoundland, Barry, uh, do, are, is your fine set up in Newfoundland a lot like uh, motor vehicle infractions? So say if you got a motor vehicle fine, in order to get your driver's license uh, renewed or your vehicle license, they make sure that they recoup that money or that restitution based on the fine that was given? Or is that just something that, oh, it's a, it's a wildlife fine. It's not like uh, 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 maintenance enforcement where people are behind on child support or, or a motor vehicle fine where you've got a uh, 150 zone or whatever. They make sure they get their money in those two scenarios. But when it comes uh, to uh, fish and wildlife, and many provinces are like this, unfortunately, where the fines, like the pro pro poachers, as uh, I refer to them as, uh, they, they know that they can go ahead and do what they like, uh, and they can still drive with their vehicle because their driver's license will not be hurdled uh, for renewal time or anything like that. Is that similar to the case there in Newfoundland? No. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Jeff, uh, in that so distant past, there was no, there was no way to, I think, to effectively collect other than jail time right? or something like that. Uh, I think it may have been changed, but I'm not quite sure. There were suggestions of the, uh, for non-compliance or non-payment, then the uh, there will be uh, a garnish of your wages or some kind of effect, like what you just said about the the, uh, the driver's license, or indeed uh, having some people uh, indeed do some type of uh, roadside work, uh, cutting. Uh, Browse and that type of thing, but again, I'm not quite sure what exactly the, pro the process is right now. Okay, now I see uh, Bev has asked a question here. What season is crossbow in Nova Scotia? Well, crossbow normally uh, opens here uh, around the closer to the end of September each year. Uh, it uh, it overlaps the the muzzleloader season and uh, that overlaps with the bear season generally here in nova scotia uh and uh as gary gettys is uh saying here crossbow season in nova scotia is generally the end of september to the end of the first week in december which would uh correlate to to that season uh it uh i believe uh and gary can correct me if i'm wrong here i don't have the book for nova scotia in front of me but uh but i believe that would uh correspond with 
the the muzzleloader season, Gary, I believe. Uh, uh, we have another one here. Way to go, Barry. Uh, Thank you. you. No. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's interesting, Barry, and all those uh, topics there. Uh, I know we had a couple of other topics that we were uh, we're going to touch on. I know we said we'd do an hour, but if you're uh, if you're okay with running over the hour a little bit, uh, I'm fine with that as well. Uh, Absolutely, know, have a good thing. Perfect. Uh, I know we've uh, COVID nineteen. We've had uh, a, a whole pile of hurdles, cancellations, uh, postponements. There was, geez, uh, the list goes on right across Canada. Like it's, uh, I know. Uh, Groups here in Nova Scotia hurdled with AGMs, hurdled with you name it. Uh, fish and derbies have been canceled for the year. Uh, learn to fish programs. list goes on and on. Now, uh, how does that relate to uh, hunting and fishing and the outfitters over in Newfoundland, especially where you guys in Newfoundland have so many uh, people that, uh, which is, that come in from all around the world and it's an economic driver for for the outfitters and guides in Newfoundland to uh, like that's a huge portion of their revenue each year, is it not, Barry? Absolutely. Uh, I speak first about the resident uh, hunting and fishing, uh, Jeff May. Uh, right now, uh, the uh, the our trout trout season trouting season just uh, finished up on the fifteenth of April. It's closed now until May fifteenth, I do believe. Uh, black bear season is set to do set to start on May 1st. Uh, coyote season is still open until sometime in July. Uh, we also have the uh, recreational salmon fishery uh, about to commence on June 1st, I believe it is. I could stand corrected on that. And as well as the uh, our traditional uh, recreational uh, cod or food fishery, we call it set to open sometime in the uh, first weekend of July. Uh, so as of right now, uh, Jeff, there has been no uh, no mention, no indication that anything is going to be postponed or delayed or cancelled. Uh, there's been a you know commercial fishery is different than what we're talking, about, so I'm not going to touch on that. Uh, so right now with the bear season, the uh, licenses have been just ma- are being mailed out and just been mailed out. Uh, so everything's set to go. It seems now that all could come to a screeching halt. So, you know, you think of people, people being on the great outdoors, self-isolating and, and social distancing and everything else. Well, it's not just about me going hunting or fishing. It's just a whole process goes along with it, as you know. You know, I got to stop to get gas. I got to get stop to get food. I got to get some supplies. I may have to stop at a parking lot where I have to park and interact with other people to get down to the fishing pool. Um, there's the interaction with enforcement. There's the uh, interaction with hunting, etc. So... You know, I think ultimately when the time comes to to delay, cancel, God forbid, or, you know, just stop it all together, that decision will ultimately have to be made by the Department of Health, the Minister of Health here in Newfoundland and Labrador, the same as every other province in Canada, I'm assuming. So it won't be from the Department of Fisheries. It won't be, or, I'm sorry, it won't be Department of Wildlife or anybody like that. It will be for due to the Department of Health, and I'm not putting any blame or anything there. For the outfitters now, and as of course come the fall now, the uh, there's been no talk about that. The uh, the moose and b- the big game draw has just been uh, uh, is about to begin for the uh, draw of licenses and that. So that's not until uh, sometime middle of September or so for that to start. 
for the outfitters, I'm hearing from some outfitters that uh, for talk about the, the sal- recreational salmon fishery part and indeed the bear hunt. With the travel restrictions now and basically the borders closed, I think, uh, they've lost a lot of business so far. Uh, depends on the time of bookings and to what point in time we're getting. So a lot of the non-residents I, I've heard, uh, and I've only heard a little bit now, Jeff, I don't have any great knowledge of it. What I've heard is that a lot of non-residents have already canceled their trips because they don't want to get caught up in the process of, you know, uh, will I be able to get it? Will I be able to go? Will it be a pain to get the money back that I invested now? What are the options, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the fishing uh, lodges are, are in, can or maybe in hot, dire straits. I was talking to an outfitter the other day and I said, you know, that person said to me, you know, I'm, I'm at, lost a lot of business already. And I said, you know, if I was an outfitter, which I'm not, I would think that, you know, despite these dire times and circumstances we're living in, maybe, you know, I got to, uh, I've, I got, well, you got to accept it anyway, but maybe you can divert your attention to marketing here at home. For resident people, you may need, though, to drop your price uh, a fair bit because residents aren't going to be paying the same prices that non-residents would pay. And at the end of the day, I guess it comes down to, well, what do I do? Do I take that suggestion, incorporate that, or do I bite the bullet? Biting the bullet is a total loss. Going the other way to the resident or res- resident population, at least you may stay in business and keep, you know. And the outfitters, they provide a big, important service here in Newfoundland and Labrador, despite what some people may feel about them and everything else. You know, they hire cooks, they hire guys, they hire, they buy all these groceries, they buy gasoline. There's a big economic benefit to the communities and people that live in those areas as well. So, and, and Barry, I'm, year. sorry to cut you off there, Barry, but uh, I'm just curious, do you have a dollar figure on what it, uh, how much revenue is brought into Newfoundland based on outfitting? Uh, fishing and uh, hunting related? I would make a conservative estimate, Jeff, and I would, uh, conservatively, uh, 50 million at least. Wow. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's more than that, Jeff. I just don't, I just don't like giving out figures off the top of my head and be wrong about it after. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and I know, uh, yeah. And I know here that we had a couple of people chime in there as we were talking there, uh, uh, in regard to, uh, Bev uh, Sampson's uh, question here for Nova Scotia. Roger Lewis, uh, that's for deer. Uh, it could be much earlier uh, for for a bear. Um, Gary Getty's uh, longbow starts the the mid of September, middle of September. Uh, Roger had responded back as well, and I had put it on the screen there, but I'm just recapping on them. Uh, Roger Lu- Lewis, uh, but the bear only has one season and you hunt what you want. And that's, that's true. Uh, I overlooked that, um, as well. Uh, bear in vertical bow, uh, for deer second Monday in September, uh, is when that opens in Nova Scotia. So I hope that answers her question that she had raised there on that. Um, now, uh, in regards to the outfitters, I know, like you, you touched on one thing there where they may, in order to survive, may have to open it up to, uh, to, uh, residents of, uh, Newfoundland, obviously. Well, it's very, the, the option may be there, uh, depending on the COVID situation and, uh, how lax the restrictions will become, uh, for outfitters, it may actually benefit them to open it up for all of Canada. If, uh, if it doesn't, uh, if, if, if they can't bring in, uh, foreign entities to uh to hunt or uh 
fish at their lodges, obviously. So it's, uh, it's, it's something maybe, like you said, they may have to look at, uh, I'm sure down the road, uh, the, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, will, uh, will step up and, uh, speak to the feds and, and try to get some, uh, compensation for these outfitters as well. Uh, if that, uh, does happen moving forward, uh, heaven forbid that it does obviously, but, uh, we're in a, an uncertain circumstance, uh, with uncertain times currently. And, uh, it's, uh, it's been, it's been taking a toll on a lot of businesses and especially small businesses. And, uh, I'm a strong advocate like yourself, Barry, to, uh, support homegrown and support small business in any way, shape or form you can. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm just going to move along here, Barry. I know, uh, some of the, the next, uh, question that we're going to bring up here, uh, topics to discuss uh is something there that we may have already chimed in on throughout the, the podcast obviously uh the black bears obviously we've uh we've we've chimed in on uh, the bears uh, a bit uh you got anything else you want to chime in on with uh with the coyotes and uh, the wolf hybrids or uh, the botwood beast i know we touched on that uh, a little bit as well uh but uh it's Anything else you want to elaborate on with either one of them uh, uh, topics there with coyotes and uh, wolf hybrids, Barry? Yes, just one, one more thing about that, Jeff. Thank you. Um, we, we, we uh, Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition, our, our conservation group, in conjunction with Newfoundland Sports and Magazine, had a meeting with a uh, diff- different, couple of different politicians in the past couple of years, uh, 2017, 2018, nothing recent. And uh, through our meetings, one another one of the topics that we brought up with the government was the reinstatement of the coyote carcass submission fee. So in the past, there was every coyote or wolf or hybrid or whatever you want to call it, uh, a hunter harvested, you would turn the carcass in for a $25 uh, submission fee for the bounty, for the, I'm sorry, the rabies study it was deemed to be. And they just do character studies. They just do studies on them now, and they, you know, give out twenty-five dollars. So that was uh, that was caught out there for a couple of years. And uh, we like to thank us and the Newfoundland Sportsman because we did bring it up to the minister a couple of times about the reinstatement of it, and it has been reinstated. So you know, we we Newfoundland Outdoor Heritage Coalition, working with other groups, we are getting things done. We're not claiming responsibility totally for any one thing. You understand? But we are the go-to group. There are people calling us all the time. There are people, government officials calling us for information. We seem to be the go-to group, but we have a hard time getting ourselves launched to become that go-to group because, as you know. Uh, Jeff, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink the water. That's it. Everything has to be done in uh, collaboration and uh, sometimes trying to do the collaboration with uh, everybody, Barry. Uh, it doesn't quite work, as we know. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, it slows down progression in any province or territory uh, or state, for that matter. Uh, uh, but uh, now... Yeah, I'm just trying to uh, think there. I know here in Nova Scotia at one point, we, we did have the bounty on coyotes here uh, just to try to compare a little, I guess. And uh, it uh, it worked for a while. But in comparison to Newfoundland there, I know you said $25 or whatever a person would receive. Now, with that, uh, was it just a carcass? Could the could the hunter or trapper keep the pelt and just provide the 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 carcass or was it the the animal as a whole that's 
fur and uh, carcass combined? Good question. And for clarification then, hunters uh, can, uh, har after harvesting a coyote, can take the carcass to submit it for a $25 fee to the government, can uh, take the pelt uh, and turn it into, is it, put it, you know, turn it into a rug to hang it on the wall, uh, can use the fur to make hit, uh, mittens or hats, or they also have the option, they cannot sell the pelt, but the legal option will be turn the pelt over to the Newfoundland Labrador Trappers Association, who would then uh, sell that pelt on consignment for you, the hunter. The price that you would get then for that fur will be uh, the quality of the, would depend upon the quality of job that you did to skin it out, would depend upon the price of the fur and the amount of money you have to pay the trapper for consignment fee for selling it for you. Well, that's, that's good to know because uh, it, it just shows that nothing goes to waste and it's, uh, it's, it's a benefit. The trapper can do all those things. Perfect. Now, uh, I noticed here that uh, one of the other topics that I had discussed uh, just before the show with you, Barry, was uh, the recreation of food fishery. Uh, and we touched specifically on cod for that. Uh, I don't know uh, when your seasons normally start for that. And uh, as, as fluent as the COVID situation is currently, do you think that uh, – uh, that season is going to roll forward uh, with DFO and whatnot. I know commercial, commercial is is, is a different can of worms, obviously. And uh, uh, I'm not here to, uh, to to touch on commercial tonight, obviously. Neither am I. Unless somebody reaches out to us uh, uh, and asks us for a podcast in regards to commercial, uh, I will entertain it. Uh, and. Uh, do an informed discussion obviously but uh for the purposes of our podcast we're we're sticking with uh recreational obviously and uh do you see the the cod fishery for recreational uh fishery food fishery in newfoundland uh rolling forward barry or is that still uncertain at this point given the the current situation we're in uh, i don't know when you could you, you folks in newfoundland normally would uh would go with that but uh Give us uh, give us an update there, and as well, uh, how does uh, how does it look each year with the food fishery, Barry, and uh, harvesting uh, cod in Atlantic Canada? So the it's it's called the recreational cod, cod fishery. We call it the food fishery here in this province of ours. Uh, for years and years, before the 90s, 91 or 92 came along, before the uh, moratorium, it was a, a, a free-for-all. When the moratorium came on, then they, had the, they made it a recreational fishery for, for the general public to go out and fish. And they had different, they had one year, one time, they had tags and license. Now what they have is a, a personal daily limit of, per person is five fish per person. Um, and it's now changed. It used to be uh, three weeks during the summer, last two weeks of July and first week of August and the last week of September. Uh, there was a lot of hiccups with that and everything else. So now they've, uh, through our effort, part of our effort as well, lobbying uh, the DFO, uh, they've now made it open. They open it every Friday, Saturday. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Every Saturday, Sunday, Monday of the summer. So okay. it creates more opportunity to be able to get out there and not have to push out during any one time. Uh, so, you know, will it go ahead? It's hard to say, Jeff. Everything everything seems to be up in the air. It depends upon 
how how we as a society do with this COVID uh, threat and how much how many people get infected. And I'm sure that the more people get if I'm sorry if more people get infected, then they will take the necessary measures and steps and uh, mitigate by closing uh, seasons down or posting or postponing them or shortening them or making further restrictions. You know, and uh, when I talk about going to the gas station now, Jeff, you know, you put that into comparison. Well, I'm going to the gas station here in, in, in my hometown to get gas anyway. So, I, you know, there are restrictions. There's there's uh, things that I have to be aware of in order for me to get that gas. And the same could be said for different places. But, you know, it's it's kind of different going off on, on, a, on a trip like that. So it's it's really going to be hard hard one to call. I hope it doesn't. I hope things get better. I hope it doesn't. And I'm able to participate once again in, in the uh, food fishery. But uh, if it if it if it turns out that it does get closed down, well, what do you do? I think it's you know I, I don't think it's worth even saying even on Facebook that well the hell with that I'm going anyway because that's not even you know a legal alternative. Yeah, it's not nothing ethical about something like that being said. And you're giving the, you know giving yourself a black eye in, in the general public as well with that too. Yeah, so it's a it's a wait and see like everything else uh, in regards to that. Uh, now, uh, just to rewind here, uh, we've got a few comments that come in, uh, Barry, there. And uh, one was, uh, Sean Reed, I think you can sell if you don't have a trapper's license. Uh, he's, so if he's talking about the coyote, that's, that, uh, that would be the coyote. I, don't, I think he is wrong. You, you need to have a trapper's license in order to sell it. Okay, but uh, oh, I, I agree with what he's saying as well. You no, can you can turn as I said turn it for over to a trapper a trap association have it legally sold for you. He uh, he he sent us in another one shortly after Barry and uh, that was my fault for not uh, picking up on it right away. Uh, I think you can sell a coyote pelt to an auction house if you don't have a trapper's license. Uh, so he kind of corrected the first uh, first comment there. I think the wording of it may need to be arranged. So you could give it to the auction house to sell on your behalf, possibly. But I don't think that I don't think it's legal for a hunter, a hunter to sell the fur. Okay. But I could be wrong. And uh, might might be something there, Barry, that uh, you or Sean uh, can reach out to one another uh, afterwards and uh, and uh, update him on that as well. Or you can uh, you can always comment on uh, the Sean's comment there and coast to coast outdoors uh on facebook and uh give them the answer that way uh just uh for clarification there uh to, to nail it down pretty bulletproof that way uh we have another one here uh barry that came through uh james sullivan uh i'm a bow hunter in newfoundland and after the small game closes but the coyote season continues. Why is the person with a bow not allowed to hunt coyote during the remainder of the coyote season? Good question. But uh, the answer, unfortunately, is that uh, right now, uh, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, I do not believe that a bow, an arrow, archery, whether it be longbow or a, a compound bow, is uh, permitted to uh, hunt coyotes right now. Okay. That's to the best of my knowledge. I had a buddy of ours with a uh, with a longbow, and he's trying. He's trying to. He had a bugger of a time trying to find out what kind of arrowhead to use. And he said he's riding into all kinds of blockades with it. So, I it may not be legal to use a, a bow and arrow for for uh, coyote hunting. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. 
Uh, what else do we have here? Barry I love Lucho. questions. I, cannot, I might not be able to answer them all, but I love questions. Yeah, well, we can always find out the answer if we don't know uh, Barry at the time, and you can always revert back to jumping on the Facebook page there, or, or if we have to, we can always go back on, and uh, when you do find the answer, uh, and uh, do another podcast if uh, if need be. Now, uh, the, the caribou population of Newfoundland and Labrador. I know that's been, uh, geez, that's been a touchy subject for many years, Barry. Uh, I know uh, reading some articles there, and I try not to judge everything based on news articles because even the media makes mistakes, right? Uh, Absolutely. But uh, there were some issues there with uh, with the caribou herds in Labrador almost being decimated from uh, individuals coming in from uh, Quebec, uh, I believe. Was was there not, Barry, uh, an issue there with that? Uh, I, I believe it's it's been uh, rectified now, obviously. And uh, but I could be wrong. Uh, but uh, but if you if you have anything there, you'd want to chime in in regards to the population. Uh, you don't have to touch. Uh, exactly what i had mentioned there but uh but uh just the population in general i know based on media reports there were some issues there but again media has been known to be wrong so don't don't hold me to that as well well jeff i can answer your question uh, so, uh quite a lot quite a bit not everything uh talk about the island of newfoundland first uh the island of newfoundland have the have a native species of woodland caribou and woodland caribou in new on the island of newfoundland we have the only huntable woodland caribou herd in North America, if indeed, if not in the world. The caribou population declined. Uh, a lot of the chief reason people were blaming the, the instruction or the, um, the coyotes, which were having a, uh, an impact on them. But also, though, through, uh, you know, uh, the cycle of life, same thing as in the rest of North America. The caribou herds now and here on the island of Newfoundland are starting to increase. Some areas are slower to recover than others, but they are starting to increase, which is a good sign. Uh, and, and everything seems to be starting to balance out with the coyotes and the caribou, etc. Um, and on the island of Newfoundland as well, on the Avalon Peninsula, where I'm from, the, uh, there was an Avalon Peninsula herd, and they were estimated to be around almost 8,000 animals. And they, they then got infected with the uh, brainworm disease. And because there were so many animals... Uh, they passed it on to each other, and the brainworm disease affected them, much like the mad cow disease did it in the UK years ago. So they shut that hunt down, and that hunt has still been shut down. The animals starting to recover, but not still not enough for a uh, for a uh, for a, uh, a controlled hunt. For speak about in Labrador, Labrador had the largest caribou herd, I believe, in 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 North America, if not the world, called the George River herd. They numbered and heyday probably close to 800,000 animals. They have now been decimated down to the number of below probably uh, 5,000. That would be a generous, gener a generous uh, assumption there, Jeff, as well. Uh, so the, uh, the, the hunt is over, both commercially and residential. So if I was still a guide in northern Labrador, I wouldn't have a job. The residents of, of uh, Labrador are not allowed to hunt them either. There's been a group started called the Upcart. I'm not sure if you're finished, familiar with those. They, they stand if memory serves. The... Um, on Gava Peninsula, 
Coalition Aboriginal Roundtable on Caribou. I think that's it. That's pretty darn close. And they, they comprise of different Aboriginal First Nation groups, and they have all have a, uh, an agreement saying that they will not harvest the caribou. Now, to get more specific about your question, Jeff, we have five... No, but before you go on there, Barry, uh, just sure. curious there. Uh, uh, you know, I could be wrong with my pronunciation here, but... Uh, that, that group that makes up that coalition, uh, the protected yeah. herd, uh, uh, is the Halibu signed on to that as well? Or are they still, how's that? I know, uh, I think, uh, trying to remember back, it was it that group as well that uh, had, uh, did they I'm, sign I'm, not, that? I'm not sure, Jeff, about the Halibu because they're located mostly here on the, in, on the island of Newfoundland. Oh, okay. There are some there are some Halapu people, and I, I I always want to be careful when I'm talking about the uh, the uh, uh, indigenous names because I always want to make sure I'm I'm using the, the proper term terminology and name that I'm supposed to be using. Uh, but I'm not quite sure if they're involved in that upcart uh, group. They okay. could very well be, and kudos okay. to them. But I'm not sure if they are. Gotcha. Okay. No, I just uh, just figured I'd ask because I know I I uh, I do some. Uh, some stuff here with our uh, Mi'kmaq community, which is First Nation yes, as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, That's, yes. And uh, I just wasn't sure if uh, if uh, the Halapu and Newfoundland had signed on for conservation measures. I'll be surprised if they didn't. I'd, uh, no, it's uh, it's something there. Uh, if anybody knows, uh, they can feel free to chime in. So, uh, so with the with the answer for the southern Quebec, uh, southern Labrador now, uh, Jeff, there is five resident. Woodland caribou herds in North in Labrador. All five resident woodland caribou herds are, are endangered and have been endangered for quite a long time. What's been happening is there is there's a certain group of uh, indigenous people. I'm not pointing any fingers or saying anything. There are people that are coming across, sneaking. They say sneaking over the border and harvesting these uh, these caribou from these uh, uh, woodland herds. And the most notable would be the red wine herd. Okay. Just recently now, uh, there have been uh, uh, legal action taken in the past and that has, has no outcome uh, that has happened. And there's been a, uh, I believe, an amount of money now, some kind of grant been given to do further studies and to hire enforcement people to look after these uh, caribou that are left there now. A lot of people oh, frown about it and say, well, it's not going to make rolled beans or whatever. It might, it, hopefully it does. That's pretty well where the caribou in Newfoundland and Labrador lie right now. The 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 size of the herd, Barry. How big is the herd? Uh, any? Can you give me an inkling on that? Or on the which herd would that be? The red wine. Red wine. They know all five resident caribou herds. There'd be the red wine, Lap Joseph, Mealy Mountain, Odd uh, Jumps. I can't remember the other two. They all at the time when I was when I was doing my research numbered less than 2,000 animals. And indeed, now I would say there are even less than that. Somebody else could uh, chime in there and send a correction on me. I'm not saying that, that but it's definitely less than 2,000 animals. And mm -hmm. some, some herds, maybe less than 1,000. And wow. these herds in the past, they were open to legalized hunting when and only when George River Caribou moved into the area. So okay. the George River Caribou had collars on them. So if you take one collar, that could be God. That could be ten thousand, twenty thousand animals. You got two or three collars, that could be overrun with numbers, of thousands of caribou. And the thinking was, when the George River Caribou moves in that certain area and they open, the chance of shooting a woodland caribou her, uh, animal is a lot slimmer because of all these George River herd caribou that are around. 
Okay. Uh, now I've got two more comments that just uh, filtered in there. Uh, while we were talking, uh, the G5 small game head is ideal for coyote hunting. That was from James who asked a question there earlier about the seasons uh, for bow hunting. Uh, it's good to know. Uh, something for you guys to take uh, take note of, Barry, moving forward. Uh, and uh, Lucas Roberts, Barry, would the red wine herd be in the region of the Red Wine River? Good question, Lucas. So thanks very much. Uh, I don't think so. I think that the red wine herd are, are not the geographically located. I think that they would be more down in southern Labrador, but I could be wrong. And red wine, red wine river of the earth, think about it, Lucas, I think would be the same one as I'm thinking about that the Newfoundland explorer took, Justin Barber. He, when he went up to Grand Lake, where he started off Northwest River, up to Grand Lake, he had to take the red wine river to go on up to the uh, height of land, up to uh, 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 the Smallwood Reservoir. Perfect. Well, I guess that answers that on the, the caribou questions, Barry, unless uh, you got anything else you want to chime in there. But uh, if not, uh, I might throw this one at you, and we'll try to eat up a, a few more minutes there and make it a round hour and a half uh, podcast for us. Uh, wild Go turkeys. Ho-ho! Uh, we got one comment there beforehand. Uh, let's see here. Uh Absolutely. Uh, uh, that's why I was curious. So uh, that was from uh, uh, from Lucas there. Let's see if I can display that comment there for you, Barry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I was curious. Thanks, Barry. Uh, right so, on, yeah, Lucas. so uh, I guess wild turkeys will uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. Uh, How's how's that work in uh, battle pursuing that aspect of uh, wild turkeys in Newfoundland? Uh, I know previously this week I've seen a, a photo there from somewhere in Newfoundland where there is turkeys. Now, uh, it's, it's hard to judge uh, whether or not they're wild turkeys or domestic birds that were let go. Uh, that's... Uh, Unless you had one, you, you would be able to tell, obviously, but you don't. Uh, how's, how's that going with, uh, with government in Newfoundland, Barry, on talks on that? I'm sure agriculture is a hurdle, as would, uh, uh, well, agriculture is probably your biggest hurdle, I guess, uh, uh, would it not? Well, Jeff, uh, over, over, over two years, Terry, Terry, um, Terry Smith, the president, I believe he is now of the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, has been asking me to start up a local chapter here in, here in uh, Newfoundland, Labrador. And uh, through the timing just wasn't right. I was always busy and everything else. I'm still busy, but we thought that uh, myself and our and our executive thought now would be the best time to start it up, and we're a year old now already. Um, so, what? yes, that's what we, we started the chapter up uh, to, for the introduction of wild turkeys here in Newfoundland and Labrador for the purpose of hunting. Um so we've run into a big roadblock right off the bat, and that's the government, who's saying, who's saying, no way, no, no possible way. We're not going to look at it. We're not going to touch the 10-foot pole, this, that, and everything else, and everything else. So, you know, this, but you have, the government has realized that this is not Barry Fordham and the boys mm -hmm. coming now. This is Barry Fordham and the boys and the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, which is a national, ma major national conservation group, which has high integrity and loads of professional people. 
So we we did myself and Lucas Roberts there is a fellow uh, fellow director with the uh, St. John's Bonnegrave. We did a uh, in studio radio talk show on CBC talk about the uh, introduction of turkeys. We had we had a lot of a uh, lot of favored response and but the uh, all the government did was send an email written email response to us saying no no way shape or form and that you know that kind that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth says so you know why can't you at least meet with us anyway so after a while another couple of emails we got a meeting with the director of wildlife to talk turkey so here's our here, you know we're not just looking at get a bunch of turkeys and heave mountain woods that's not it at all this is a very specialized thing that we're talking about so once we once we, we had a meeting with the government and we got the door open now to have further talks. And that's what it was. We're having further talks. We're not looking for an answer right now. We don't want an answer. We just want to open the door. We send information. Finally, hopefully we get a, uh, a meeting at the right time to they'll want an EIS. Well, we've already got an EIS through Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. We just need to take that one and tailor make it to here, to New, the island of Newfoundland. That's all we need to do. We give that to the government. Hopefully they give us their, their permission or the go-ahead to go do it. Then we would live trap and transfer turkeys from Maine, New Brunswick. They would go to a veterinarian first before they ever went anywhere to be checked out for any type of invasive disease or any kind of thing like that. When they got here to the province, we would have a couple of students from the university and other colleges hired to look after those birds, about 25 birds for each of the five years. They would be equipped with radio collar tracking devices and then, to look after those birds. Eventually, after a few years, we hope to have a, a huntable population where you go into store, or I'm sorry, you go and apply for it like moose, have a draw. So eventually, when they proliferate good enough, to have a over-counter ticket license sales like everywhere else. So the government saying that, you know, why we, they don't want turkeys here is because they, uh, it adds a, an extra food, uh, food um, alternative to the coyotes. And the coyotes eat the turkeys, then they're going to increase the numbers, then they're going to go eat the Caribou. Well, I can very quickly put that to you. Now, Jeff, I don't have a degree in biology. I don't have a degree in science, but I do have the CFS, uh, Jeff. And the CFS is common friggin' sense. And my common friggin' sense tells me, Jeff, that the only time that the car is going to have any success in, in getting and eating turkeys is in not with the big adult birds, but in the when they have the eggs and the chicks are called poults. That's when they would have they have a higher success rate against having to eat any turkeys. And Jeff, like I said to the uh, director of wildlife at that meeting, and Lucas can back me up and say so. How many eggs and chicks are they going to have to eat to increase their population? Have any kind of dent against the caribou population? That's true. And, uh, and, and how about Barry? how about how about, uh, how about uh, 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 competition? Well, yes, okay. Let's look what we got. We got the we got two type two types of ptarmigan and two types of grouse. Ptarmigan are, are, are native to grouse were introduced. The ptarmigan are out on the open barren country, sure to come down in the lower country in the, in the uh, wintertime, and the grouse. And the studies I've looked at with the, with the grouse in particular, sure they compete for some of the same foods, but they have many other different types of foods that are available to them as well. And there's other in, uh, jurisdictions where the grouse and the turkeys are cohabitating. For the agriculture, through the studies that seen from Nova Scotia, the turkeys are more concerned with the with the crops in the fields after uh, after uh, uh, um, after uh, the uh, season is done with what's left over in the field. That's what the turkeys go after. So it, all I can say is that look, I'm a conservationist, and if there's any way, shape, or form that this will be seen or proven to me as a bad move for the ecosystem, then I'd probably just give it up. 
I wouldn't give up the turkey, the, the St. John's Longbeard chapter because that's more than just turkey hunting. They, pro they promote outdoor women in the hunting world. They, outdoor, they promote outdoor kids in the hunting world and fishing world and everything. They, they, do they got, they got the, the Kids yeah. Like Us program, uh, Women Like Us program. There's, there's, there's a number of different uh, pro programs that they offer up. And uh, the banquets, uh, the prizes are just uh, unbelievable. Awesome. We were set to have our first banquet come June, but that's that's been put off now as well. Yeah, I will many, say that many of them have. Absolutely a shame. And I will say as well that the Newfoundland Sports Magazine have an outdoor expo show each year, and we go there as a as a, in our own booth. And last year was we had the debut of the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation St. John's Longbeards, and the interest that was brought up, the questions and everything else, and then. Some people who doubted us went over to Newfoundland Sports Magazine and said, are they for real? Absolutely, they are. We are for real. And we also now with the, uh, well, I've also reached out to the uh, indigenous, to, to the Halapu people uh, and uh, to the Outfit Association of both fixed interests as, as, in that as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I know here in Nova Scotia, the Mi'kmaq uh, are supportive of uh, reintroduction of wild turkeys in Nova Scotia, obviously. Uh, there's uh it's the the ball is rolling but again we've got uh we've got some government uh bureaucracy unfortunately that uh is is holding things up uh agriculture here uh, uh and, and i'll openly say it barry uh uh on uh on the podcast here agriculture in nova scotia has some concerns which is fine and dandy everybody's got concerns but uh certain ones uh in the in the mix with the agriculture are certain ones that uh, a FOIPOP uh, Freedom of Information has provided us with uh, here in Nova Scotia as well, that uh, they're the same ones that uh, run agriculture, but yet agri zoos and that, that they run, uh, they, they're bringing in uh, the wild boars and they're bringing in different deer species and that all of which could, now I'm not saying will, uh, but the science and the research and the documentation for, uh, proves it uh, that could could affect other species within Nova Scotia. But when you talk to government and you try to put the comparisons there, it's quick to say no to something. But why why do we let one thing go for another project? So so anyway, uh, I I've got a a wealth of information on wild turkeys in Nova Scotia and. And whatnot, according to a, a FOIPOP request, uh, that the government of Nova Scotia does acknowledge that there is 10 pockets of turkeys in Nova Scotia. They don't really elaborate as to where, obviously. Uh, but uh, but I, anybody's guess whether or not they're wild or just domestic birds that have been released, Barry. Something similar to what uh, you guys had endured there in, uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, now, so, uh, for, for disclaimer purposes, everything in regards to wild turkey has to be done uh, in any province or jurisdiction in accordance with the province's regulations and laws. Uh, these, these rogue individuals uh, that, oh, well, well, we'll do a trap and transfer, or we'll do this or we'll do that, have no reflection on any organization or club that try to do things the right way. Uh, and most Absolutely. times the right, the right way, uh, takes a lot of fighting with government bureaucracy from any province, Barry. And we know that, uh, you know that as well, uh, 
and uh, and uh, CWTF knows that. Uh, good thing you have there with the CWTF is uh, they uh, they have biologists and whatnot in your corner uh, to uh, to provide studies, and they have connections there with uh, the NWTF down in the states uh, that uh, originally was in Canada at one point and uh, can provide extensive knowledge uh, on top of what CWTF can. So working in collaboration with them uh, against any province or jurisdiction, my opinion personally is uh, anything is possible when you have that knowledge base uh, in your corner to, to, to put out as needed. Uh, now, I know uh, you said the, the Newfoundland Sportsman, Barry, uh, they, uh, they do a lot of uh, projects and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with their publication that they put out and, uh, it's uh they do they do good work uh, from what I've seen and uh, it's it's great to see them in your corner moving forward uh, with uh, with the projects you see fit and uh, hopefully maybe we can uh, have a chat with uh, one of one of the editors or owners or or what have you and yourself Barry on one of the next episodes there uh, uh, maybe even have them uh, supply some stuff there for viewers. Uh, uh, that we can uh, send out or whatever to uh, to viewers as they comment uh, throughout the, the podcast. So uh, I know uh, I've talked to CWTF about that. And uh, anyway, Terry Smith is looking at uh, providing some hats or something down the road so uh, that I can get out to people that engage the podcast moving forward. Uh, with that, Barry, uh, unless you got anything else on turkeys, uh, I think we covered a lot in the last hour and 36 minutes. Uh, time flew. Well, I can't get over how quick it flew. Uh, so, uh, but if you want to chime in, uh, any last words on anything? I know uh, after you get your last words in there, I'll, I'll chime in about an incident here in uh, Nova Scotia recently. I don't believe I touched on it at the start of the, the podcast, which, uh, which I should have, uh, which uh, I apologize for. So if you get any last words on any topics we touched on, Barry, have at her. I do. Thank you, Jeff, for the opportunity once again. Uh, in closing, uh, uh, everybody, especially in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, you know, talk about the turkeys and uh, just touch briefly on the end of the turkeys conversation. There are turkeys right now in western Newfoundland over in the Codroy Valley. Uh, there are some turned up in different places throughout the island as well. I'm not sure about Labrador. Uh, these, all these birds have been uh, escaped from, from farms. To suggest otherwise would be illegal activity, and we don't talk about illegal activity. The fact that these birds are uh, out in the wild, and they have been, and they had survived the Newfoundland winter, is an indicator that if a, if a domestic turkey can survive the Newfoundland winter, then there should be no problem with the wild turkey, which is way, way hardier. Uh, Last, uh, last year, there were four turkeys down on the east end of St. John's in parking lots. Um, we, the, and all of a sudden, there was only three. And it was confirmed that a fox had gotten one. And then about two months later, there was only one left. And we know they hang around in numbers. Here's the thing. Terry, Terry Smith told me, he said, if they, were, if they were wild birds, the fox would never have gotten close to those birds to get them because they had the inbuilt in, in, in instincts and everything else to uh, take flight from them. In closing, I'd like to say to my fellow hunters and fishers, men and women, sportsmen and women out in the outdoors, our ultimate responsibility is for our kids. 
we are mere stewards of the of the resource, and our, and our responsibility is to ensure the continuation of the resource so that you have some of the same opportunities that we've had. We are still in the, when it comes to uh, our province, you know, we're a few years behind, but when it comes to our outdoor world, it seems we're still like back in dark ages. It, we have to change our attitudes. We have, it's, not, it's not my God-given right to go out hunting. It's a privilege. It's a privilege everywhere else in the world. Why do we feel that we are so different? And we have to get out of this old saying as well, you know, it's my birds, it's my moose. No, it's not. It's just, we're just looking after it, as I already said. So it's okay to go out and catch your limit, but you should be limiting your catch as well to make, to, to make sure that we conserve things for the, for the future, not be out getting everything that we see. And, you know, with those things kept in mind and everything else, that's very important for us to keep keep in mind because our ultimate responsibility is for our kids and our grandkids, and that's what that's what we get to look out for. And when will things change? When they start coming up through the ranks, because there's nothing more powerful to say, "Mom, Dad, why don't you have your life jacket on when you're making me wear one?" "Mom, Dad, why are you throwing that garbage underground when you're telling me not to?" "Mom, Dad, why are you exceeding the bag limit when you're not allowed to?" Then and only then, I think, will the outdoor world become better than it ever is. And let me tell you, we are very lucky here in Newfoundland and Labrador to have the hunting heritage that we have because a lot of parts of the world is private land. And in European, they have the hunting clubs. The Europeans were blown away by the hunting efficient opportunities that we have here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So, you know, be safe, the different hunting efficiencies coming up. Be safe, be seen, look after yourself, wear your life jacket, and don't drink and, and hunt or fish. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Jeff. And uh, it was a great, uh, great uh, privilege and honor for my part to be able to speak to you here tonight. You know what, Barry? I appreciate it. Uh, on behalf of uh, Coast to Coast Outdoors podcast, uh, hey, we, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us uh, insight on the, what takes place in Newfoundland, asking some questions. Uh, viewer engagement from Newfoundland and uh, elsewhere has been great. Uh, uh, Lucas says here, uh, great job, guys. Looking forward to hear uh, from you more, Jeff. Uh, stay safe, guys. Uh, we've got another uh, viewer comment here as well. Uh, Joanne, good job, guys. Uh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate all that. Uh, with, with with everything said and done, uh, I, I appreciate the fact, Barry, that you were one of the first uh, from Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, that province there to uh, chime in and uh, be engaged on this uh, podcast with me. Uh, anybody else? Uh, and and you may know small clubs, Barry, uh, that uh, that uh, are are in your area that may want to get on and uh, do a pot like join me for discussion phase or or what have you. Uh, just point them to the thing. They can send me a message there on Facebook. Uh, I will uh, update them. Uh, try to get them on here. Uh, if you have anybody in Newfoundland that uh, makes snowshoes or anything like that, uh, anything outdoorsy, uh, bows, arrows, what have you, if I can get them on for an hour or a little better, uh, just to show the world what they do. And in these uncertain times, uh, they may be a small business owner. It may give them the additional platform, free of charge, obviously, to uh, to show viewers in their province what they do and across Canada and uh, hopefully gain them some revenue with purchases down the road. Who knows? Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's kind of my way of giving back to uh, the outdoor community, which uh, I've uh, grown very fond of over many years since I've been a, a little fella. Uh, 
So uh, with that with that being said, uh, they can reach out to uh, myself on the Facebook page, and uh, we can uh, we can try to set something up there. Uh, so yeah, if you wouldn't mind that, Barry, any viewers that are there, uh, if you can like the page, great. Uh, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, as well, uh, Barry, you're uh, you're a hunter and firearms instructor, and you, like myself, uh, have uh, no doubt seen the news here in Nova Scotia in Colchester County today. Uh, it's, it's a sad state of events that had occurred there today, and my, my, my heartfelt condolences and thoughts, prayers, etc. go out to the families involved because... Uh, what had taken place there today, and you know what? I don't believe in giving uh, the son of a gun any publication uh, of his name uh, because I don't feel that if this is what he tried to do to accomplish uh, notoriety or fame, it's a, it's a pretty awful way of trying to do it. Whatever the case is, uh, many people were injured today in a firearms incident uh, uh, where uh, somebody decided to uh, go go rogue, I guess, uh, for lack of a better uh, explanation. Uh, people were uh, shot, injured, and people lost their lives in Colchester County today in Nova Scotia. So uh, from, from myself, uh, deepest heartfelt uh, condolences to the family and those injured. Uh, uh, senseless acts like this do not need to occur. Uh, and they never, like, it. it's shocking this day and age. Uh, uh, not something we we want to hear. And uh, from uh, somebody who's uh, an outdoor supporter in the outdoor community and that, uh, accept uh, my uh, condolences from uh, myself and uh, other organizations within the province of Nova Scotia. Uh, dreadful. And to the, to the Mounties, uh, uh, that uh, and first responders that had to deal with this tragedy uh, again uh, heartfelt condolences to uh, all of you so I don't know if you may have anything Barry you may want to uh, chime in there before we, we exit the podcast but uh, now would be your opportunity if you wish I'd just like to add on what you said there Jeff yes our, our heartfelt condolences and prayers go out to all the people of the family and friends and even people of Nova Scotia our sister province so uh, you know we're all thinking about you here as well in these during these uh, difficult times thanks Barry and uh, with that folks uh, that concludes uh, the, uh, probably the longest Barry podcast I've done yet uh, but it was uh, very well in depth and uh, Learned a lot about Newfoundland, and uh, I see here we've got some viewers from New Zealand watching. So, so hopefully uh, that uh, with those people watching, uh, it uh, drums up some extra support uh, for uh, your industry and that in Newfoundland. Obviously, uh, I'd like to also mention again uh, uh, a quick thank you to uh, where you want to be outfitters and. North Shore Guide Services. Where You Want to Be, Outfitters is in Newfoundland. Uh, they had sponsored uh, two episodes, uh, so I, I appreciate them. Uh, and uh, North Shore Guide Services in New Brunswick. Uh, so so with that, guys and gals, uh, enjoy your evening, uh, and thank you for watching. <laughs>